You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Actually, this is, we're kind of wrapping up our series on going viral, and those were uh, some commercials, actually, that were produced by Suburban that just went viral for obvious reasons. I mean, they're just absolutely hilarious, and you can get online and, and find those if you've never seen those. There's many. Uh, they made a number of them, so that was just kind of a compilation of videos that they uh, had done. So I thought it was kind of a fun way to wrap up the series by showing you, again, these are videos that just went viral. I mean, and we've been kind of talking about this through this whole series about that term viral. And again, we know what that really all means. You know, it just takes either, you know, a video, a picture, an article. Uh, It could be something off of the internet, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. And again, when something goes viral, it's just been viewed by millions and millions of people in just a very short amount of time. And many of you also have a Bible app on your phone, maybe called YouVersion. And in a given year, almost 70 million Bible verses are shared, they're tagged, they're highlighted, forwarded. And we've really been looking at the top Four most tweeted, bookmarked, email, hashtagged, and favorite verses in the last year. Now, the fourth most popular uh, verse in all the Bible, according to you, version, was Joshua chapter 1 9. We started off the series with that. And here God's speaking to Joshua, and he says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The third most viral verse was Matthew 6.13, Jesus' prayer as he's teaching the disciples, it's a part of the Lord's prayer, and it's lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The second most popular verse was Isaiah 40.31, and we talked about that last week, and there it says, but they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So this morning we're going to look at what is the number one viral verse. And I suspect that this verse is not only the most popular for the last year, but I think it's probably uh, been number one uh, for a number of years. For as long as I can remember, I mean, you all, we've seen this Bible verse. We see it on t-shirts, on coffee mugs, on uh, keychains. I've seen it tattooed on people. It is one of the most popular verses of the hundreds of thousands of verses that are in the Bible. Now, what is going to be shocking today is the reason why it is so popular could be one of, because it's really also one of the most misunderstood, misinterpreted, misapplied verses in the entire Bible. And again, the reason it is, you know, I think the number one verse, and it's so popular, because at first glance, I mean, when you isolate this verse, you take it out of its context, and you isolate it, it kind of becomes, you know, one of the, those, those perfect name it and claim it verses. It's the kind of verse 
verse that just makes you want to go to the gym, lift weights, run a marathon, play the lottery. And many of you probably have already figured out the verse for this week. But for those who haven't, the number one viral verse that is looked at, shared, hashtag bookmarked is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now again, if you look at that verse, you can see why it is so popular. Because isolated from anything and everything else, it appears to say to us that nothing is impossible. No obstacle is insurmountable. You can do all things. You can do anything. You can do everything through Christ who strengthens you. Now, there's two problems with applying that verse that way. First is you're going to see Paul didn't mean it in that way. He's not claiming that if you love Jesus, you can kind of turn into some Superman, you know, leap tall buildings in a single bound, you know, lift a car over your head, stop a speeding bullet. Secondly, this verse is not saying that nothing in life is impossible, now, it may be true that almost nothing in life is impossible, but I promise you, there are a few things in life that are absolutely, clearly impossible. For example, did you know it is impossible to sneeze with your eyes open? It's true. Try that next time. It's impossible to lift a bald man by the hair, okay? It's impossible to slam a revolving door. Okay, it's impossible to put your whole fist inside your mouth. Now, I don't want anybody out here trying this right now. It's impossible to tickle yourself. It's impossible to raise one eyebrow without moving the other. Do you know, it's impossible to lick your elbow. And last, it's impossible to like the Minnesota Vikings and go to heaven. I was going to use Iowa State Cyclones, but man, I think they've been humiliated enough this weekend. Wow, 42 to 3. I think we could have gotten a group of people just in here and gotten at least three points. Do they even call that a game? I mean, does that just kind of like come off as a scrimmage or a practice or... I'm thinking, man, maybe they accidentally got the soccer team out there. You know, they're not allowed to touch the ball. So anyway, yeah. All right, I'll move on here. Now again, if this verse really doesn't mean what so many people have taken it to mean, what does it mean? Let me just give you a good rule of thumb when it comes to interpreting the Bible. And it's this. Any text without a context is a pretext. I know that sounds kind of, uh, got to run that through your system a couple of times. Any text without a context is a pretext. So when we put this verse in its context, it doesn't lose any of its power. In fact, I think it gains tremendous power and still deserves to be one of the most shared verses in all of the Bible. Now, the book of Philippians was written by a man named Paul. It was actually a letter that Paul wrote to a church in the city of Philippi, which existed until about the middle of the 13th century A.D., 
It was located in the country of Greece in the region of Macedonia. And it was the very first church that Paul planted there. And under Paul's just extraordinary leadership, this church grew rapidly and it really became a very, very healthy church. So in gratitude to Paul's leadership and all that God had done in this church, the church would often send Paul financial gifts when he was in other cities away from Philippi preaching the gospel. And so this is what Paul's kind of referring to when you get into the context of Philippians chapter 4. As a matter of fact, he references this in verse 10, just three verses leading up to verse 13. And Paul said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me you were indeed concerned for me but you had no opportunity so Paul is just again reminding them of their of their uh, their generosity he is you know, reminding them that they have always been very, very sensitive to Paul's need, and, and they were a lifeline of support to Paul in his ministry. So as Paul's writing this letter, he's in prison under house arrest in Rome, and he's not even sure at this point how much longer he's going to live. So if Paul, if this verse was really meant what a lot of people think this verse means, if Paul could do anything through Christ that strengthens him, he would have just simply walked out of that prison, go where he wanted to go, do what he wanted to do. He can't. He's in prison. But however, when you read the next two verses, verses 11 and 12, verse 13 becomes very clear in exactly what Paul means. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content, I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound, in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the context of that verse. Paul saying, I have learned the secret of satisfaction and contentment. Paul is not writing the Philippians to tell them how to get out of any situation. He's writing to tell them how to be satisfied and content in every situation. This is a secret, man, we need to learn, especially in this day, in this culture. There are marriages that are falling apart today because people are dissatisfied. There are millions of people that are struggling under huge credit card debt because they've never learned the secret of being content and satisfied with what they have. There are a lot of white-collar executives making big bucks on Madison Avenue who drive Mercedes and BMWs and live in Manhattan penthouses because they have been successful at doing two things. Make sure you and I are discontent with what we have and make sure we want more than what we've got. Paul had learned two words that really unlocked the secret to satisfaction and those two words are found in verse 13 and they are those words through Christ. 
Philippians 4.13, folks, it is not about the ability to succeed, to soar higher, break through a barrier, finish a race, win a game. It's really about realizing the only source of real satisfaction and contentment is through Christ. When you understand who you are in Jesus, what you have in Jesus, where you stand in Jesus, when you come to realize all of that, you can always find a place of satisfaction and contentment. You can sum up this entire passage in a statement that John Piper made when he said this, Jesus is most glorified when I am most satisfied in him. Isn't that cool? Jesus is most glorified when I am most satisfied in him. I want to turn that around slightly and kind of, again, use it to give you the secret to contentment and satisfaction. And that is, I should be totally satisfied when Jesus is most glorified in me. So in this passage, I want to just give to you what I think are two uh, keys uh, to really learning and unlocking the secret to total, total satisfaction and contentment. First thing is, satisfaction contentment is a lesson you can learn. It is a lesson we need to learn. And some of us, we, we just need to be reminded of this lesson over and over. Philippians 4.11, Paul says, not that I am speaking of being need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Again, Paul's making a very interesting observation there. He says that secret to contentment, satisfaction, it's something you can learn. We were all born dissatisfied. I mean, think about it. How do most babies come out of the womb? Crying, right? They're totally happy. They were safe. They were satisfied in the warm womb of their mother. It was always dark. They slept all the time, got all the food they wanted. And all of a sudden, they're kind of thrust into this world of bright light, voices. They kind of come out unhappy, and they want to let everybody know how unhappy they are. And again, one of the reasons you go through life, listen to this, because some, some of you are in this right now. One of the reasons is you go through life that God allows you to go through ups and downs, good times and bad times, having a lot and having a little, is he's using that to teach you the secret of contentment and to be totally satisfied in either situation. Let me say that again in case you think that I misspoke or you misunderstood. One of the reasons God's plan and purpose as you go through life, that God allows you sometimes to go through these ups and downs, the good times, the bad times, having a lot and having little, it is God's way of teaching you the secret of contentment and how to be satisfied in either situation. There was a very, very successful businessman who decided to take a break from the hustle and bustle of life and to spend a few days at a monastery. As the monk took him to his simple room that had just nothing but a bunk bed, a sink, and no windows, he said to the man, I hope your stay is very blessed. If you need anything, let us know, and we will teach you how to live without it. I remember in, our, uh, in my last semester in seminary, one of the classes that I was taking in pre preparation for ministry required us to kind of describe our ideal church appointment setting 
And then describe your nightmare setting and appointment. You know, what would your ideal church setting be? What would be your ideal kind of town to live in? What would be your kind of nightmare town to live in? What would be your ideal congregation? And what would be kind of a nightmare congregation for you? Well, I had been raised in a, in a large city and was used to really kind of having everything I wanted within, you know, walking, driving distance. And so I kind of thought my ideal town setting would, would be maybe a medium to large size city. And my nightmare town setting would be a really small town. Growing up, I'd attended a pretty large Lutheran church, offered a lot of opportunities. So I kind of thought, well, my ideal, and this is again just based on my background, my upbringing, I thought my ideal church setting would really kind of be a larger church, and kind of my nightmare scenario would be a smaller church. Since I had attended only one church in my life, again, I kind of thought my ideal uh, setting would be, I'd, I would just like to be in one church. My nightmare uh, scenario would be having to be pastoring two or more churches. And since Janie and I were going to get married and start a family, you know, I kind of thought, my ideal congregation, boy, I'd like it to be filled with younger people, you know, our age, people who are kind of, you know, starting a family, and my nightmare congregation would be one that was kind of comprised of mostly older people. Nothing against older people. Love older people. So when I finally got the call a few months from graduating from seminary from the Iowa Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church, giving me my first pastoral appointment, it was everything I had listed as a part of my nightmare scenario. It was a very small town. I had three churches one of three was out in the middle of nowhere, surrounded on all sides by cornfields, no indoor plumbing, had an outhouse, the basement was full of snakes, and all three churches were predominantly older people. And so as I'm kind of listening to their description of this over the phone, I just really had a hard time getting excited about going back to Iowa and start pastoring. Now to be honest, after a couple of months we got there and, and the shock kind of wore off and I began to kind of make the adjustment, I really started to like everything about the town, the churches, these people, with the exception of the outhouse, I never went near that sorry, sad-looking shack. Um, I mean, I, I loved the idea. I mean, we never had to worry about locking, you know, our car doors. We never had to worry about locking our, our houses. Uh, most everyone was so friendly. It really, the, 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 the joke in that town was the only reason you ever locked your car during the summer was just to keep people from dumping a bunch of vegetables from their garden in your car. Um, and that was just the kind of town and people that they were. It was really a nice place to start a family. And we were there for three years. Again, see, sometimes satisfaction, contentment, it is something that you, you, you learn. It is something that you can adjust to. But also sometimes it's just a matter of perspective. There was a farmer who owned a farm in Minnesota, and one day there was a knock on his door, and it was a surveyor. The farmer opened the door, and the man said, may I come in? I've got some bad news for you. And the farmer said, oh, no, yeah, please, come on in. 
Surveyor came in, sat down and said, I hate to tell you this, but he said, I've just discovered that your farm actually isn't in Minnesota. It's actually in Wisconsin. The farmer jumped up and he clapped his hands and said, thank God, this is the best news I've heard in 20 years. The surveyor said, well, why is that? The farmer said, I just told my wife this morning, I don't think I can take another winter in Minnesota. <laughs> it's just a matter of perspective, right? I think you can learn. We can learn. We need to learn to be satisfied and content in any situation or circumstance because of Christ who strengthens us. And that's the point Paul's making here in Philippians 4.13. We can do all things relating to contentment and satisfaction through Christ who strengthens us. Can I let you in on another secret? And it's not a good one. If we don't learn how to be totally satisfied with where we are today and what we have today, we'll never be satisfied with where we go or what we have tomorrow. Believe it or not, what I'm going to read to you was written by a 14-year-old young man whose name was Joshua Lehman. Where this kid got this kind of wisdom and foresight came from his observation, I'm sure, of seeing and listening to so many dissatisfied people. And he wrote these words, this poem entitled, Present Tense. And it went like this. He said, it was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall. But it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was an adult I wanted, the freedom and respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted, to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. This young man had such brilliant insight. Again, the reason we're never satisfied with the next thing is because we're not satisfied with the present thing. And if you can learn to be satisfied with today, no matter what you get or where you go, you can be satisfied with tomorrow. In fact, sometimes it just takes inventory. It's just taking inventory of what we have, where we are today, to learn we ought to be satisfied and content with where we are and what we have. Second key to satisfaction contentment is a life you can live. Philippians 4.12 says, I know how to be brought low, Paul says. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. He says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul's not just talking theory here, folks. This is not a hypothesis here. This is fact. Paul's saying, I have lived a life of satisfaction and contentment even in the most difficult of circumstances. Paul had made up his mind he was going to be satisfied with who he was, where he was, and what he had or what he didn't. Now some of you sitting there may be kind of tempted to think, well, Paul could, but he isn't going through what I'm going through. He's not in the situation I'm in because I guarantee you if Paul was, he'd be singing a different tune. Well, let me just submit to you 
that in the worst days of your life, you'll probably never go through what the Apostle Paul went through. Can I just give you a small list? He spent almost as much time in prison as he did out of it. He had a contract put out on his life. Five times he was beaten with the whip, given 39 stripes. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned with rocks, left for dead. Three times he was shipwrecked. And one of those times spent a night and a day in the water. He was rejected by his own countrymen, the Jews. He was persecuted by the Gentiles when he tried to reach and to preach the gospel message to them. He was often without food, without friends, constantly without finances, without freedom, and constantly without fellowship. Yet, Paul said in every one of those situations, he said, I've learned how to be content and satisfied. And he said, it comes through Christ who strengthens me. Paul never owned a home, didn't have a car, had maybe two or three changes of clothing at the most. One pair of sandals, no degrees on his wall, no citations pinned to his chest, no wife to comfort him when he was sad, no children to help him as he got older. Yet in every situation, whether he was sleeping on silk sheets or on burlap sacks, he was content with the life he had. Let me just warn you, the best teacher of this lesson, the best incubator for this life is not prosperity, it is adversity. In all of nature, there is a phenomenon called the adversity principle. And the adversity principle is simply that difficult and hard times can be more beneficial to plants and animals than easy living. Biologists now tell us that it's simply not healthy for a plant or an animal to go through life without any hardship or difficulty. If you've ever been to a rainforest, you know water's everywhere. And because of that, you know, trees don't extend their roots more than a few feet uh, into the ground. And that's why the slightest windstorm can just knock any of them down. But I'll tell you what, you take that same tree and you plant it in a drier land where it has to drive its roots deeper into the ground looking for water, it can withstand sometimes even the force of a hurricane. For you and I, if we'll just learn to sink our roots into Jesus, we can live a life where we are totally satisfied and content, regardless of what you have or where you are at, in, in your lot in life. If Jesus means more to you than anything else and you love him more than anything else, then you can be content if you have Jesus and nothing else. You can be content in any location, in any situation because of your relationship and walk with Jesus. And that is why we can praise God when things are good and praise God when things are not. That is why good times don't increase your joy because bad times don't decrease your joy because your joy is found in a Savior that will never leave you nor forsake you. I love what Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. One of the key words as I close here this morning in Philippians 4.13 is that word strengthen. That term in the Greek, it is a medical term, and it is a term you would use today for a blood transfusion. 
It literally means to take something and to transfuse it into someone else. When you become a follower of Jesus, you don't just live for Jesus. His life infuses your life. And Jesus lived a life, a perfect example of contentment and satisfaction. And as he lives inside you and me as believers, Paul's promise to us is he will strengthen us in this lesson, in this learning of contentment and satisfaction. Amen? Let's stand this morning. Father, we just thank you that you have given to us the Holy Spirit who is not only a comforter, not only someone that will lead us into all truth, but Father, that your Holy Spirit is the word of truth. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that you can teach us many, many things, that you can lead us into many, many profound truths. And Father, I just ask this morning that you would, again, just renew our hearts and just engage our hearts this morning as God, as you kind of teach us and reinforce and reaffirm again this lesson and this need that we need to learn how to be content, to be satisfied in any and every circumstance. As so, a Father, we just ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just come and just continue to lead us and to teach us to bring us to that place that God, no matter what is going on in our situation, our circumstances this morning, that God, in the midst of any of that this morning, there is a place of rest in you. There is a place of satisfaction and contentment in you. There is a place in our weakness, in our weakness to want more, to want things different, to want things better, but God, there is a place where we can learn to be content and to be satisfied with where we are. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, that no matter where we are, that you're here this morning to strengthen us in that. And Father, for that, we thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.